Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Filmography is back, and just in time for Halloween season, we're taking a deep dive into the master of horror, John Carpenter. Starting September 27th, host Dominic Suzanne Mayer and a rotating panel of guests will break down each of Carpenter's 20 feature-length movies to date, with new episodes every Thursday. Grab your synthesizer, your flares, and your best Shatner mask, and come along on this latest journey with us. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another week of This Must Be The Gig. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and I am so excited about this week's episode. It feels really wonderful to align with a name like Adult Swim. But before we get into the amazing guests that I have on the show, I am in the studio with Pod Puppy and uh, Pod Pup Engineery. <laughs> I'm putting that right on my resume. Pod, Pod Pup, Pup Engineery. I was too tired to think of a proper... No, I think it's appropriate. It's because I am half uh, engineer, half, half puppy. pod puppy, yeah. and also half pod puppy wrangler. Yeah. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It makes total sense. So let's talk a little bit about this week's episode and who we have as our guests. Absolutely. Guests. I'm excited to do this. Multiple guests this week. Mm-hmm. So the first person that I speak to this week is the Jason DeMarco, who is the Senior Vice President and Creative Director on air for Adult Swim. Jason is responsible for really leading the whole creative direction, development and implementation of all facets of on-air communication, promotion, packaging and sponsorships. So even though he is a really, really, really busy man, he made some time to chat to us about the upcoming brand new Adult Swim Festival that is this weekend, October 5 to 7. Let me check my dates. 
Is it five to seven? Yes, it is. Yes, October five to seven. And also, if you've been watching Cartoon Network dating all the way back to the Toonami days, you have heard Jason's musical fingerprints all over it. It has been infused into your life, into your world. He started working with Flying Lotus and Danger Mouse a long time ago to produce music for those early Adult Swim bumpers, and then all the way through to introducing LP and Killer Mike. What? That's right. We find out the whole story behind it. So let's talk a little bit about the festival. It features about 40 music acts, including Mastodon, who, if you listen to this pod, you know we had Bran on a few weeks ago. And also, who else is there? Nico Case is there. What? Hannibal Burris. We love him. We're also in Chicago, so of course we love him. <laughs> yeah. There's also, as Adam mentioned, rap duo Run the Jewels. And Adult Swim's biggest hit, the animated sci-fi comedy Rick and Morty. You'll get a live showcase as its composer Ryan Elder leads a 37-piece orchestra through musical highlights from the show. It's plus, so exciting. Plus some secret surprise guests, apparently. Jason talks a little bit about it he you might does. have to listen to find out more details he does there's apparently also going to be a hot dog ride that bucks like a mechanical bull and a rope ladder challenge in which climbers try to whack the uvula of a giant inflatable cat also a virtual reality experience inspired by dream corp llc its show about goings on at a sketchy dream therapy facility and uh, the network's ties with the music industry are pretty critical to this whole strategy. And we chat about that and how Adult Swim makes such a brilliant through line of uh, using songs licensed from indie artists and labels and playing them during all of their signature bumps. You know, their, their little jokes and announcements and other messages. But as if fascinating conversation with Jason weren't enough... I know. I feel very blessed. We're also joined by another performer on the lineup. Who is it? None other than Zola Jesus. Who, if anybody knows me, knows how often I listen to her music. What I found most fascinating about that conversation is that she's known for her sort of goth-tinged indie, but she's a big fan of indie comedy too and she's really funny too she's really funny and really lovely and she's got this wonderful way of looking at life that i suppose a lot of people would really really appreciate but i loved your conversation about her most recent album okovi which is one of my favorite albums of last year and of hers it's just a really great conversation about safety and festivals and uh, safe spaces for women and... who i have to be honest it's i've been waiting to chat to somebody about it exclusively and this is such a perfect time to bring in a conversation that is often overlooked and or approached by people who have no right to talk about those types of things so it was really lovely that she was open to it and also because she's playing the festival this weekend it seems as if it's serendipitous. Serendipitous. If you have not heard any of her songs or any of her albums, you have one, two, three, four, five to go back and listen to. There's uh, 
The Amazing Tiger from 2014. Oh, there's The Spoils, her first. Uh, and obviously last year, as Adam said, a Kobe. And uh, just check her out. Check everything out. And uh, if you are in town for the Adult Swim Festival, you are in for a treat. And uh, maybe tweet us and let us know how that hot dog mechanical bull goes for you. And that's at TMBTGpod. TMBTG pod. And when you're tweeting us about that, also send it to us as a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. When you leave us a five-star review, we will read your name. And also, we will tell everyone what your first show, your favorite show we'll was. tell everybody your secrets. If you want that, or just tell us something fun and we'll read that. We just want to tell people about you. <laughs> this whole show is about you. This is a combined amazing episode with Jason, DeMarco, and Zola Jesus. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here is us. Goodbye. The last thing I'm going to do before I do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of pressure for me because I got to make it count. <laughs> You're like, make it count because then I'm doing nothing. <laughs> I am so excited for the festival, though. I know that we're going to chat a little bit about it, but I wanted to first get into the first concert that you ever went to. First concert I ever went to, when I'm old, okay, I'm 46. What? So the first... That's not old. That's not old. No, you're good. You're good. The the first concert I went to was Van Halen. Oh, wow. On the the 1984 tour, right before David Lee Roth left the band. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, so it was a good, I mean... I'm I'm still I still love old school Van Halen so mm. I'm, I'm proud of that first concert. That's a good one for me. Um, That's a ridiculous first concert. Yeah. Most people are like, oh, I stumbled into the parking lot of a nearby high school and there was a band <laughs> playing on top of the roof of a car and you're like Van Halen. Yeah. <laughs> you more I went to the right. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, mom, my, my mom was a music fan and it, I mean mm. my mom. Saw every band, saw the Beatles six times, was at Woodstock, you know. Oh so my, my mom was like, "I'll drive you to, I'll drive you to Van Halen. I'll just drop <laughs> you off, you know." So. And then you saw you turned around and saw her in the crowd. Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have surprised me, but you know. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. And so, is that what 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 was really in the in your home when you were growing up? Kind of more old yeah. school rock. Playing. Well, no, uh, she listened to everything. I mean, I definitely grew up with my mom's music. You know, when I was a very young boy, she put records in my hand, and it was like mm. Black Sabbath's first album, and Led Zeppelin, and The mm. Beatles, and then like a bunch of. She loves funk and soul, so a, a whole bunch of Al Green and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and stuff like that. That was yeah. kind of. Those were like her two favorite kinds of music. So that's really what I grew up with was you know, funk, soul, and and just, like, rock and roll. But, I mean, you started kind of weaving really powerful music into Cartoon Network back in your Toonami days, really. Like, you were getting 
stuff from Danger Mouse. And was that something that you then found later in life that the things that matched the art that you were a part of that or, or was it just a, a more collaborative the you know the people that you were working with it's what they wanted as well it was a little of both i mean it was really just that when we made tsunami when we first started tsunami because obviously it's still going but when it first started in 1997 mm. we wanted it we wanted it to reflect the music that we were listening to at the time and have it feel current and not like normal kids cartoons where they have like these screaming guitars and the music was <laughs> yeah. sort of an afterthought we wanted it to, and what what we were listening to was drum and bass and electronic music and and hip-hop and that to us was like what was exciting mm. and so that's what we wanted to put on on the on the air and mm. luckily you know kids seemed to respond to it yeah, but so you were given kind of free reign out of the gate to create that musical identity, or did you find that there was a little bit of pushback in the beginning? No, we were given, I mean, we were given a lot of freedom. I think they kind of felt, I mean, honestly, when we came on board, Cartoon Network was still a very young network, and they mm. really were just like, look, fix our afternoons so we have an action block and kids will watch, do whatever you want, just don't spend a lot of money. And so <laughs> as long as we didn't yeah. spend money... Uh, we could kind of do whatever we wanted. And so we were pretty much left to our own devices, again, as long as we just kept the budget under control. I grew up with Cartoon Network. I grew up in South Africa. It was one of the first big cable satellite uh, channels that we got, that and MTV. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a huge part of our childhood. But I always found that, especially with Adult Swim, it's always been this eccentric, very different, very independent, outsider... Uh, you know entity but musically mostly so what was yeah. the i know that you said you went to van halen and you know there was a lot of like also soul and funk in your house but what was the first band that really opened your mind to that kind of worldview where you could mesh two things that really seemingly don't necessarily go together but right. it works well, I think, I mean, I think definitely in the later years of high, in, you know, high school is when I started getting into hip hop and punk rock and hardcore. And I think really it was probably Minor Threat and Fugazi, um, you know, like that whole era of straight edge, because for a while I was straight edge, you know, like I wore the X's and all that. And so... Mm -hmm. For me, that was when I, you know, when I discovered Bad Brains and Minor Threat and Fugazi and all that, that, that whole scene, that kind of changed my trajectory of what I was interested in. And really from that point on, I was more interested in music that sounded raw or less produced or that felt more like, you know, just felt more homemade. And, and you know, but, and that was when hip hop was, I mean, it, this is the, the mid-90s, early 90s when I'm in high school, so hip-hop was really on the rise and so those things all sounded new and fresh and dangerous and as a young person of course that's going to appeal to you more than like an al green album even though an al green album is amazing in its, it's own so, way yeah it's so good yeah you know? no of course so of it, course. but i mean that's where that's where i found my the beginnings of what i would say is my musical identity and my leanings towards more independent music or, or outsider music, as you put it, just stuff that isn't sort of, it's generally less produced and it. Mm. To me, I don't know, feels more like the product of someone's 
individual vision mm, and passion and you can feel that absolutely yeah. but yeah. it doesn't seem that it's it's not a coincidence that so many of the people who contribute to adult swim also have serious music projects like tim heidegger <laughs> and brendan small and jg thurwell like it doesn't it's it makes so much sense that that came about and it almost feels serendipitous that somebody had planned it all so it's funny how it's yeah. turned out that way and i love how there's a lot of people that you know they don't watch adult swim or they don't listen to any of the compilations or any of the things that you do it's funny how people do still approach it as in a music there's there's something with music you know like if you yeah. had to ask somebody and i love that there's that there's that that connection because I suppose art and music really do go hand in hand. And you see that with TV shows now, you know, and how yeah. influential they are with bringing and breaking bands and, yep. you know, yep. so that's so interesting. But so do you have a favorite musical moment then from your time at Adult Swim? Oh, I mean, you know, my favorite, um, I've had a lot of favorite moments. I think my favorite thing that I was involved with was definitely the Killer Mike rap album, just because I knew when we were making it that we were making something special, and I still feel like that record hasn't gotten its proper due because obviously they created Run the Jewels right after it, and it, that's obviously the much bigger story. But I think that record's a classic. And when it was being made, I felt like I knew they were on to something. I knew that putting those two guys together was a great idea. Mm. And it was very exciting, the whole process of making the record, because I, 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 it was one of the only times where my idea of what it would sound like in my head mm. was, it was actually better than what I thought. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that's amazing. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Normally you have an idea of something in your head and you are, if you're lucky enough to have it come to fruition as mm. a person who works in media, it's always different than what you thought. And usually it's not quite as good. Never. Uh, sometimes, but, <laughs> right. Yeah. But very rarely, very rarely you, you, if you're lucky, it'll be even better. And this was one of those things. And so for me, it's always going to be a highlight just because I knew while we were making it that whatever happened, it, we were doing something special. I had no idea that it would turn into their current career as Run the Jewels and how big they've gotten, which is amazing. I just knew this music is really good and we're doing something that is going to stand the test of time. So, wait, so, so you, did you me. introduce them? Is that Yeah, the... I did. Yeah. But so you can, I mean, essentially, like they call it in the Jewish tradition, like a shidduch when you match two people together. So essentially, <laughs> you may go to heaven. They felt that, you know, I met, put them together and they fell in love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you basically you know, take credit for Run the Jewels. So every award or I, anything that happens, you are standing there going, That's, I, I did that. They have been, they have been, they have been very incredibly generous about, you know, in interviews for the first several years. They're probably tired of talking about it now because they're three albums in, but they yeah. have been very generous about saying it was Jason DeMarco who put us together. It was this guy who's a TV executive. Wow. You know, who would have thought, you know, um, they're great dudes. But there's so many different projects just thinking now, because when I asked that question, I was wondering what my favorite musical moment, because I'm selfish <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, 
But the, that Danger Doom project, obviously with Danger Mouse yep. and MF Doom, was such a major turning point. Tell me a little bit about that project. How did it come to come to fruition? It was another one of those weird moments where things just came together. But mm. basically, I had been Danger Mouse had been doing beats for Tsunami for a long time, and he came to me and said, "Look, I'm going to move to London, and I've got a record deal." And, well, I'm hoping to get a record deal. Right now, I have nothing. Can you promise me that if I move to London, you'll give me a bunch of work, like, mm. beats-wise, to sort of keep me afloat? And I said, yeah, of course. So he came, he went to London, he did all this stuff, and, he, and while he was traveling around, he started talking to Doom. So he came back to me and said, hey, Doom and I have been talking, and he knew I would know who Doom was. Mm. And he said, Doom and I have been talking, and we want to do a Toonami album. And I said, well, I don't think... A tsunami album would make sense, but maybe an adult swim album so Doom <laughs> yeah. loves to sam- sample old cartoons. And he said, Oh, Doom loves adult swim. So they somehow convinced me to go talk to my boss, Mike Lazo, mm-hmm. and ask him for a bunch of money. And we gave it to them to make this record, even though we had not the first clue of how records were made or anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, put the record out and did it with Epitaph Records and made a terrible deal with them because we didn't know anything about <laughs> you. know what you would do. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm laughing, so but it's money. terrible. Yeah. yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Um, but it sold like 350,000 copies, which wow. now would be a, you know, a mega album. Back then it was like, it was the indie version of Gold. So it, was, mm. it was still, um, but we never went into it with the idea of like, oh, we're going to make a record and then it's going to start a label. And then it just literally was two guys who we really liked and they wanted to do this project and we thought it was interesting. So we just gathered a bunch of our voice actors and had them do skits. And then those guys wove together some clips with cartoons. And um, I was amazed it came out as good as it did just because, I mean, how many how many tie-in albums... No, it doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> well, it doesn't work yeah. because it's always premeditated. I think the fact that, like, even just looking at the work that you've done in the past, I think the fact that there was no, like, goal to make money. You know, like, it wasn't like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is a project that can make me famous. You know, you were just right, like, this right. works. This came to me. It was natural. It was authentic. And I think that that's the difference, I suppose, with what you do as opposed to what a lot, a lot of other people try and do. You know, it's difficult they get caught up and especially every industry is, you know, equally crazy. I can't just say that this industry is nuts. The music industry is is, uh, very complex and there's so many moving parts. But the fact that I think it happened organically sounds like most of how your things happen, which is is really really quite amazing. Yeah, I've been very lucky in that um, I've been given a lot of freedom that again, mm. the Adult Swim thing is basically if you're not spending a ton of money, then you can experiment, and occasionally something you experiment with will hit, and that'll benefit everybody. And a lot of times, what you experiment with won't hit, but you didn't spend that much money anyway. So it's worth just keeping, you know, up a stream of different experiments because you're you're basically gambling that the ones that become big and popular will help you through the times where you have the ones that don't. I mean, Absolutely. that's the gamble. 
Yeah. yeah, and life has changed in such a drastic way in such with creatives. It used to be the old adage like, oh, I'm, I'm going to hone my craft, do one thing for yeah. 20 years and be this crazy master and die before everybody knows who I am. And now <laughs> it's like, let me try so many different things and experiment as much as possible because that's the only way to actually get good at anything is if you, you know, try Pretty and much. do as much as possible. But I always used to Pretty really... Much anticipate all the adult swim singles release as well it was either like something i already loved or something i knew i would love and you've now obviously <laughs> expanded that to 52 weeks so how yeah. do you how do you approach what artists to work with there like does the expansion change the way you pick the artists or do you still just it, pick who you like it hasn't really changed the basic approach it's just me i mean we essentially are using roughly the same pool of money that we've had since 2010. Mm -hmm. We're just learning how to spend it wiser. <laughs> and obviously the, the industry has changed. And mm -hmm. so things are worth different amounts, mm -hmm. but it always starts the same way, which is in, in January, I make a list of my favorite albums or songs for the year. And I have a little email group of friends that I email with. And then usually in February or March, I will then, look at that list and think about and try to see who would I be really interested in working in mm -hmm. working with this, you know, and then I go back and see who I've missed or who I didn't get to work with. And then there's a bunch of people like Flying Lotus, Reggie, Kitty, Waves, you know, artists like Mastodon, people that we just keep bringing back because they're family. Um, and, and we want to just keep, well, like I always want to do adult some singles and have a run the jewel song. You know, they've been here since the beginning and their family, and we just want to keep rocking with them. But then there's, there's always the hope you're starting some new relationships. And I'm always trying to have some bands on there or artists that I've never worked with before, or that I've always wanted to work with and not had the chance. So it's a balance between, you know, mm. people that are new, new to it, people that have been doing it, and people that I never thought I could get to before. You know, big people like Future or Skrillex or Sia or Slayer or any other S-named band that we've gotten. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's really just me at the end of the day. And then I have a guy I work with named Adam Shore who works with Red Bull. Oh, um, yes. He, I, yeah, he's yeah. amazing. I interviewed he's him great. a few months so, ago when I was in New York. Uh, yeah, he's lovely. He's the best. Yeah, he's he been, really is. And he's been, he's been an integral part of it since 2010. So mm. basically, it's Adam and I making a list, and then we sit down and have a phone call, and we go back and forth and try to figure out genres, what's a good balance of male to female, mm. what's a good balance of, you know, like whatever it is. And then we call that list together, and then we divide and conquer. He goes, well, I can get to this band and this band and this band. And I mm -hmm. go, well, I know this guy and this guy and this guy. And then we just divvy it up and start making phone calls. Really. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, he's he has such an um, incredible uh, perspective on the things that other people maybe might miss. Like tiny, like yeah. the nuance of music and the things that he does yeah. and plans and curates. It's just... It's quite extraordinary. So that's that's amazing yeah. that you get to work together. And I love that you have a little email with your with your mates to find out. Cause, oh yeah. Because I, I even though this is this is what I do. I'm in the industry. I I was you know have been a critic for a while. I never think I know everybody. 
um, which right. is exactly why I'm still in it because of the curiosity, yeah. it's curiosity around it. But but wait, did you know that there is a musical duo that spends a lot of time reaching out to the LGBT community that it's called Jason and DeMarco? Oh yeah. Somebody told me about that the other day. I was like, oh, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they they uh they played a lot of pride a couple of years ago and mm. I was trying to go down there and get a banner to have them sign, but I didn't get to do it. <laughs> oh dang. Well they must just make it and send it to you very, very <laughs> in the post, the mail. Um but so let's talk a little bit about the festival coming up uh very soon actually. When is it? October October fifth through seventh. October fifth oh, wow. through seventh. Yeah. So yeah. that must have been a huge undertaking. Did you did you pitch the idea or how long had it been kind of gestating, if I can use that word. I think it had been something we had been thinking about for quite a while. I didn't, you know, it, it was the Adult Swim events team that really said, hey, we should do this. And they basically came to me and said, if we were to put on a festival, do you think you would be willing to curate it and call all of your friends and ask them to come play for maybe a little less money than they normally make because it's our first year? And I said, uh, yeah, if you, I mean, if we're really seriously going to do it and do it right, and they, you know, put together a plan that the that that Christina Miller, the head of the network, and Mike Lazo, who runs Adult Swim, approved, and basically we were off, and it has been, um, as you would imagine, an incredible amount of work. But, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, you know, Ugh. but luckily, you know, at this point, I have we have such good relationships with so many of these musicians, and we knew that in year one of this festival, we wanted it to really reflect the mm. bands that we had long-term Luke, Luke, ongoing yeah. relationships with. You know, like our bands people really associate with Adult Swim, and so we knew that we had to call Mastodon, we knew we had to call Run the Jewels and Flying Lotus, and we knew that, you know, like, so... In that way, it was easy because I didn't have to. I had a shorthand with, I would say, over half of the bands on the bill. I already knew so well that I literally just didn't even have to call their managers. I could just call the artists yes. and be like, "Hey, are you in?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, we're totally in." And yeah, that makes it, it much easier. It, it, yeah, I actually think if we do this next year, it's going to be harder because you may, I won't be able to call. Can't, can't call your call mates. My yeah. <laughs> you um, need another lifeline. No, but I mean, yeah. I like that you kept. You've kept it small, though. In comparatively, as you know, music festivals they do it because of the sheer size that festivals draw. So the fact that yeah. you've kept it, uh, I mean, it, it's not small by any measure. Just but comparatively to where most festivals sure. start, I think that yeah. it's clever in that you obviously have really unique uh, musical comedy experiences as well in the lineup. And yeah. that kind of yeah. almost brings in a, an entire new identity for a festival, which I don't think, you know, the, the music festivals have been attempting to create like that more full experience right. beyond stages, but it's very different for a brand like Adult Swim to come in and do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think we have a little bit of an easier shorthand coming yes. out of the gate because we already have an identity, mm. and so we can build a festival around that identity and one that reflects that identity: the comedy, the art, the mm -hmm. you know, the music that you would already see and hear on Adult Swim as a channel. We already have a a base mm. from.
from which to jump off. We don't have to create something out of thin air that doesn't exist yet. So that in that way, we do have a little bit of an advantage of, over a lot of first-year festivals because you already know, like a lot of people already know what Adult Swim is. So when they imagine an Adult Swim festival, they're probably going to have a close idea, you know, of what it would actually be because right. they're going to imagine our, our artists, our comedians, mm-hmm. And the bands we work with, and that's what they're actually going to see at the festival. Mm, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's unbelievable because it is a world, you know, and that's what festivals try and do. They create these little worlds and these little pockets within that world so that people feel like it's a home that they can escape to, you know, like this little blissed yeah. out like weekend. Um, yep. But, you know, I know that uh, I'm sure you're getting a lot of attention for the Rick and Morty musical experience. Rick. Which yeah. is really exciting. Can you tell me anything about like what exactly that will entail and what will actually happen? Well, it's gonna be so it's gonna be Ryan Elder, who's the show composer with a mm-hmm. thirty seven piece orchestra. And they're gonna play all the songs from the show that have sort of become, you know, whether it's uh Get Swifty or whatever, all the songs that have <laughs> yeah. popped over the course of the three seasons. They're also gonna. They're also gonna have a bunch of bands that have been on the show, and also people that are playing the festival, and also some surprise people that are gonna come in and play songs with them. Um, and then, yeah, and then they're gonna show some stuff that no one has seen before either. So it'll be a. I mean, if you're a Rick and Morty fan, I can't imagine you wouldn't enjoy it. And even if you're not a Rick and Morty fan... I think you'll still enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. they're keeping it interesting enough that it's not going to be like, oh, inside Mm. baseball for comedy nerds. (laughs) I think it should be a cool thing. And they're they're spending a lot of time and effort on it. So, I mean, they don't... You know, one thing about the Rick and Morty guys, they don't do anything without really thinking about how it's going to be, you know, the best thing for the audience no matter where right. they're doing stuff so um they've been working really hard so i'm excited to see it especially because i think didn't they just present one of the emmys while i was watching yeah. the other day yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah this they is... did which they i'll accept yeah. this because you know holograms <laughs> like michael jackson holograms and that yeah. kind of crazy weird shit i'm like nope yeah. i do, do not want to <laughs> You know, yeah, they didn't, they cool. they were blown away. They were blown away that they got asked that we were asked to have them do that for the Emmys. You know, they just uh, it's, it's been really weird for for everybody to to see that show get accepted <laughs> the way it has. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. and then also there's people on the bill that have contributed to on screen media, of course, as well. There's Nico Case who wrote theme oh, songs, yeah. and there's T Pain who had that Freaknik yep. special, and who else is. Flying Lotus yeah, and obviously Thundercat that you mentioned, they did the theme to Aqua TV. So there's so many, yeah, there's been multiple shows featuring a lot of different people. I mean, the goal, yeah, the goal, the goal was if you were a fan of these particular shows, then you would get to see the music from those shows by the people who made the music. And right. if you're a fan of those artists, then you're just going to see those artists, exactly. but you're also going to see them do some of this music. So it's just a, you know, a nice Ideally, mashup. a melding, yeah. yeah, a melding of those two worlds, which, again, nobody else gets to do. So I'm amazed we're getting to do it. I really am. Yeah, it's like a live soundtrack. It's pretty special, especially if you're going to be mean, bringing in all these other things. You know, a lot of people just do one night specials, and the fact that you are keeping it tight, but you're still running it over a few days, I think that that's yeah. so important because 
especially Adult Swim, you know, those kind of fans, they don't want just one thing. They want it all. So uh, I think that the fact that, do. like, you get, you know your fans, you know. Um, they are not shy about letting <laughs> us know either. But, I mean, even when, yeah. you know, when one, stage is, when one stage is going, the other stage will, you know, while they're setting up for whoever the next act is, they're going to be showing pilots and episodes mm. of shows that have never aired. So if you're, like, like, if you're an Adult Swim fan, you're getting to see stuff that no one else is getting is going to see for sometimes we're talking about stuff that's not going to air for eight months. So like you're seeing stuff way in advance. I mean, again, the whole idea was we thought about what people do at festivals and what, if we were in the audience, we would want to see and what I would want to see if I was standing in front of a stage, waiting for the next act to play, trying to get a good, you know, place in the crowd is I would love to be entertained and not just stare at grips and gaffers moving around equipment, you know, so we're trying to figure out ways that we're presenting things, whatever they are, little pieces of animation, a show, a bump, something funny to where you can at least watch that if you're bored instead of just standing there staring at the empty space. Which is the worst. I have like this yeah. rolling Instagram story thing that I do when I'm waiting to because I shoot shows. So I'm waiting oh, in okay. that fucking pit and I'm just like, this is a memoir. It's a story of my life. Just waiting for the band <laughs> sitting there. So it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. So the fact that you are filling that space and also. I think what's quite extraordinary is you're jumping on a very big idea of the two worlds, the digital and the real world, and how many people have rejected the idea of bringing it together into one, yeah. you know, clean unit. And the fact that Adult Swim is not afraid to do that and and bring artists into an area where, you know, maybe purists would be like, nope, you got to keep that in, you know, you got to keep that world right. sacred. I think that that's... It's really smart that you, you that you considered that as well. Well, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> I know. I'm like, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> no, but I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. Is there anything that you are really looking forward to, just on from a personal level? Just, I mean, I'm sure the hurdle of just oh. having it come to fruition is enough. But is there any show you're excited for? Well, I mean, aside from the headliners who I've seen a bunch of times and I know just seeing them at a festival that's our festival and knowing, I mean, I have such a personal connection to Run the Jewels. That's going to be such a great moment for all of us, you know, I mean, just because having come so far with those guys. Other than that, as a fan, I have never seen Code Orange live and I've never seen um, Suicide Boys live and part of the reason I put them on the bill was because I just want to see them live. <laughs> Your own personal concert. I see you. So, yeah. I see what you're doing. <laughs> I see it. That's amazing, so, though. Yeah, those, you're going to have fun. That, yeah. that, that, that's it. And then, the, and then the brain feeder block, just because mm. Flying Lotus, uh, he has this amazing 3D show, and I've only seen like four songs out of it because he came to see, he came to Atlanta to do the show and we went to dinner and he was like, you should come see the show. And I was like, no, nah, I'm old. I'm going home. I'm not going to go <laughs> see your show. And he was like, come on. So he made me go. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. And I mm. still was like, okay, I'm out of here after 20 minutes, but like, <laughs> it looks so cool. Yeah. So him doing that and the idea of Thundercat and he 
doing stuff together and then Hannibal Burris being in there. Like oh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty psyched about that one just as a, as a music nerd, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But is it, how are you going to then innovate? Are you already thinking of next year or are you a sane person and only thinking <laughs> oh of God. this year? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just trying to survive the next couple of weeks. <laughs> And I'm not even going to think about next year until like I don't know December if yeah. they, if they're like yeah we're going to do it then I'll worry about it. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying know, to make you, know? you panic or anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. No. I'm just sweating. I'm just gonna yeah. I'm just gonna survive the next month, and after that, I'll worry about the future. basically got an email saying hey they want to do a single and um i had a song that i felt like was perfect for it so they so they released it under their adult swim singles club or whatever were you a cartoon and animation fan when you were younger and do you do you enter into that world now at all oh yeah totally like growing up i mean or even now i like love adult swim um, you know, like watching Aquatine Hunger Force and Xavier Renegade Angel and like um I don't know if PSF I don't think PSFR was was adult swim, but um but just like all of that I was going children's hospital Kim and Eric. When did they approach you about playing the festival? Because obviously this is their first one. Yeah, it was um you know, last you know, it was it was earlier this year, I think when they were putting everything together and I was really stoked because um, I really like I really like Adult Swim, and I think they have good taste. Like I feel like they work with a lot of good artists, and mm. um, and then when I saw the lineup, I was really excited because I saw everyone from like Run the Jewels to Nico Case to like Hannibal Buress was performing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's gonna be cool. Like I actually want to see people at this festival. Like sometimes yeah. only festivals where there's not really anyone that I'm excited to see, but this one's like so many people. I'm really excited. Yeah, and especially being a part of something that I suppose isn't premeditated around an idea of like what they think a festival should be and uh, mm-hmm. you know like for Adult Swim it's the brand is there so you kind of know what you're going to be getting even though it's the first year which is quite cool to have your name on that as well yeah totally and I just I mean I, I also really like comedy so um the fact that there's a lot of comedy crossover is really cool yeah that's I mean that's interesting because I think a lot of your fans wouldn't wouldn't necessarily think that you know because the, yeah. the music that you make not to say that it's uh not not hopeful in some in some aspects you know in a lot of what you do but you know that that may surprise some people I think but maybe it's because you have a a good look you know outlook on life that you're able to tackle those deeper more nuanced ideas yeah I mean I I think that uh you know my music is definitely like a concentration of something that I I most certainly am but I think you know my interest in comedy and stand-up not doing it but like watching it and stuff like that um it also, like, I think that the comedians are really some of the most sort of, like, insightful and some of the smartest people that are alive right now because they're able to see all these different sides to a situation that may just seem like this one this one perspective. But then, you know, in stand-up or something, it's like, first of all, it takes such an amount of cleverness and wit mm-hmm. and, um, and, and insightfulness that I just find it, like, really 
and I like to laugh. Yeah, no, I could. <laughs> I, I mean, could I guess like. <laughs> I think we all need that as well. Like, I, I, I don't even necessarily think it's just from what's happened in the last few years. I, I think that oh, yeah. just in general, having somebody able to turn, you know, the mirror around and be able to rip something apart, you know, whether that's positive or negative. I think it's so important to check ourselves at every point. Um, and comedians Absolutely. obviously have a platform to do that. And also talking about experimentation as well. I feel like your music has always really felt very expansive in in your ability to blend kind of tradition and experimentation. And I think in comedy as well, you know, people, I suppose, subversion of certain comedic traditions, when people go away from that, it's even funnier, you know, when somebody's completely doing something a little bit, you know, out of the ordinary, which I think you do with your music as well. Obviously, speaking of, of this world and other worlds, does performing and live music, can that feel for you uh, an escape or a relief or a release at all? Or do you not prefer, because I don't think it's a matter of preference, as you said, it's a concentrated art form for you, but is performance for you then... What does that fill, you know, like comedy fills a certain part, like your writing fills a certain part. What does performance really provide you, provide you with? Uh, well, performing, uh, it's really cathartic. So when I'm on stage, I just feel like I'm able to leave, almost like leave the more corporeal elements, not to sound like dumb or whatever, but mm. to leave the more corporeal elements of my life, like my daily life and things that usually are very humbling to me. Um, and I kind of leave them and it's a space for me to feel like disconnected to the world and to people in a different way. It's kind of spiritual in that way. So I really use and need that in order just to feel like that sense of connection and also a sense of relief. You know, it can be like, uh, it can kind of be like an exorcism somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah. When I'm performing, it can feel kind of like, it's like, I don't know, it can be really profound when I'm on stage and when everything feels right and it just feels like you're um, you're doing something, you're doing this higher, you're accessing this higher form. And I think the fact that you're connecting with people while doing it, because the performance very often needs other people, it needs an audience. There's this feeling of like, you're all like together, like accessing this higher form to, you know, simultaneously no I, I totally agree and, and even just what we were talking about now it makes me wonder about that as well because in the comedy world when somebody gets something that is funny and you're all feeling that it's it's a similar it's an outward emotion that I suppose comes from like you know deep down internal feelings and it's the same with music when you're feeling that all together in that kind of you know communal mass uh, you know movement when you're watching something that's really moving I suppose not to not to say that comedy is like music is like comedy but I suppose the having that feeling of being together is quite comforting and I can't imagine what it's like as an artist to to watch that as well yeah I mean I think it's just also you know we're both performers and it's both you know, both comedians and musicians are about accessing intimacy, intimacy with each other, intimacy with the audience, intimacy with themselves, because being on stage is so exposing. You're so vulnerable. And especially when you're a stand-up comedian, because oh God, you rely yeah. on those laughs to feed you. And I rely on the, you know, the clapping at the end of a song and the engagement to feed me. And so it's, 
you're very vulnerable. And so it's just like this leap of faith, which I think, you know, is, is relatable for anyone that's in a performance sort of like uh situation yeah and and just speaking about comedians is there anyone do you like a certain slant just out of interest this has nothing really to do with much but just out of i was just curious is there anybody that really tackles certain ideals that you find are brilliant is there anyone that really stands out for you at the moment somebody that you have enjoyed lately um, well, I'm one of my favorites is this comedian, uh, Maria Bamford. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. She's so incredible and funny and her, her sense of humor is really unique and special. Um, and then I've also really been into, uh, Kate Berland and John Early. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like some newer comedians and I think that they're just like so spot on and so funny and so like, um, incisive in a way. Yeah, is it wasn't Kate just was she in a movie? I think she was in um I think she was in mm. Sorry to Bother You, the the Yeah, I think she was too. I haven't seen that yet, but I think that I saw her like posting about it. Yeah, no, she's <laughs> and how amazing is the I know that people when they talk about like, oh, the new age of comedians, but I just feel like nobody is afraid. There's like a sense of fearlessness that I feel a lot of the comedians are having at the moment and I don't know if it's because of everything happening in the world and it's giving them a lot of content or uh, it's just a shift in, in behavior. I'm not sure, but it feels very inclu- uh, it feels very inclusive. Lately, I've found comedians are on podcasts, they're at festivals, they're, you know, they're in movies. It's like they're all over. Yeah, I think also, yeah, podcasts have been a great medium for them. And I think there's just like, number one, we need comedy more than ever. and But also, I just think that there's, so many outlets for comedians that aren't just like the stage, you know, that they can, they can kind of metabolize what they're good at, which is, you know, having insightful commentary or thinking about things in a unique way or just making people laugh. They, there's just so many different mediums for them to operate and work these days, which is really cool. After obviously releasing your album last year to now and, and performing that set and, and that, you know, pocket of songs and with your, you know, everything else that you've done along the years. How has that felt to to bring that out now? Do you still feel very connected to it or are you able to disconnect a little when you're performing? There are some songs that I've kind of been able to appreciate, but I'm not living them like I was. Yes. Uh, because things have changed and, and you know, but um, there are other songs that are still very much useful to me. So it's just a process of, you know, letting the songs kind of take on their lives and and serve the purpose and, you know, but they're always going to be, like, whenever I perform some of these songs, they're always going to be really, really personal and fragile for me and important because it was just such a chaotic time, but my life is still chaos, so I can still use them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it ever, does it ever end? I'm not sure. Things do no, get... No, uh, obviously not. <laughs> no, well, the thing is, somebody said to me the other day, like, you you know, it, it's just the, the constant, not complaining, because just stuff keeps happening. You're always like, I need it to slow down. But the truth is that I think the approach to your own world is the only thing that's ever going to change i think stuff will continuously Mm. keep happening so it's more about having a different changing some sort of block you know within your brain to say oh well i just have the different tools to handle it now which is so hard it's like the most (laughs) ridiculously 
I just don't. I, so I heard that advice and I was like, oh, I wish I could apply it. But then the panic and pressure of applying it sent me down a loop. So I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm just going to have a nap. <laughs> you know? No, it's just, <laughs> I know. It's, it's just like self-perpetuating in a way. Yes, It's exactly. going to happen forever. Yeah. <laughs> I love the word that you used earlier um, about performing. You used the word intimacy. Was performance for you always a comfortable thing? I know that you said it was cathartic, but has it always been like that for you? No, definitely not. Oh, um, wow. In the beginning, was I mean, in the beginning, it was ever since I was a kid until maybe just a couple of years ago, it was just filled with so much um, self-criticism and fear. And um, I just felt very exposed and vulnerable and not in a good way. Um, so touring and performing uh, for the better half of like, um, my like you know music career has been re- was really really tough and fraught. Um, but once I just started being accepting vulnerability and, and and almost like enjoying that fear and enjoying that feeling of being exposed and just kind of having faith in it, um, it's been really rewarding because that's like that's what makes I think that's what makes performance so beautiful is that it is so raw and. You know, it's, you're never going to be perfect, and that's not what it's about. It's just about being real and about connecting with uh, a bunch of people, you know. And so um, I do enjoy that now. So so what do you do then in the spots? Because I know that one way to tackle that, I'm sure for you, especially because you're a very smart woman, is I'm sure you <laughs> don't just take on anything that comes your way. I think that that's really dangerous as well for a lot of artists who you know, want to just be honest and open. It's sometimes it's too much to to take on too many shows. So how do you find that balance between, you know, taking on the shows that you want to play versus needing to actually do it because it is it is your life force. It's your it's your job. Um I just think over time a couple of things have happened. Like either, you know, I've I've established my worth and my value and it's something that I, you know, you need to have a sort of like baseline, like this is my value and if it can't be met, but I'm not, you know, it's like, unless I really want to do this thing, I'm not going to right. go underneath yeah. that because I think that's really important. And in the beginning, I'm like, I'll do anything. Like, I don't <laughs> care. Like, I'm just glad yeah. you're asking me. But yes. It's like, I am glad I'm being asked, but mm. yeah. But at the same time, it's good. It's, I think it's important to be like, I have worth. I have self-worth, I, you know, and sometimes I think artists have a tendency to feel worthless. And so they're like, yeah, I mean, I'll do this because I'll, I'll play this show or I'll say yes to this opportunity because I'm not worth anything more than that. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, or I have to. absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's always something to measure yourself against that's unfair or unrealistic. It's so easy for your mind to get warped by those things, but you're so mm. right. That's, I don't, I don't think a lot of people think about that often in, in how worth is so... It sounds silly saying it loud because obviously logically it makes sense. But I think when your art is at the forefront, um, it's so easy to attach worth to that. So that, that, really, does, that really does resonate, yeah. And I'm sure people listening yeah. to this will also think, you know, wow, I don't maybe need to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important, even if you're just starting out, I think it's important to go what I do is worth something. I am worth something. And sometimes as an artist, I get those things confused. What I do has worth and who I am has worth. They're not necessarily the same thing. 
because artists have a tendency to link themselves with what they do and the and the value that they are given to their music or art is value for themselves and that's not the case Mm. you know because you have you have value outside of what you do and so that's important to to realize like um so that's something that I think just takes time and, and wisdom to learn. And it's something that I didn't learn for a long time. Um, and uh, I definitely kind of I think I abused myself and my body and my sense of self-worth because I didn't feel like I deserved it or hadn't earned it. You know? Yeah, like this, this suffering for the art thing is, is incredibly ingrained sometimes, especially when you get so close to it. It's your passion. Um, so that the, the things that happen sometimes are so almost uh, natural which sounds terrible to say but they are it's a it's a very strange uh, relationship but I like that you think of it as a separate as well I think that that's mm-hmm. I won't call it healthy but I think that there is a lot of power in actually knowing and I, again the word that you used earlier when you said it's concentrated um, so many mm-hmm. people get so caught up in the work that they do that how do you even step aside when things go really shitty? You know, how do you then disconnect? Like, it's almost like you're asking for the for the button, the escape button to be taken away. Yeah. You know, you're like, okay, sure, I'll just put myself through hell. That's okay. Yeah, I, I guess mm-hmm. it has to do with having been put in situations where I put out a record and nobody liked it. And then that, I, that mm-hmm. crucified me because that meant nobody liked me. And that was me. That record was me, and that was my value. And so, if they don't like that record, then I'm worthless. If that record, if that music is worthless, I'm worthless. And then I felt worthless, and I hated myself because I felt like I couldn't make people feel joy. I couldn't make people feel good. I couldn't make people feel like I was worthy. And I gave them the, I gave them the button. I gave them the power <laughs> yeah. to find my worth. And that's extremely unhealthy because. You know, then I, that's how I got depressed is because my wealth was in, my, my worth was inextricably, inextricably linked to what I did. And if it didn't do well, then I felt worthless. And that's not, that's no way to live, you know? And now I, you know, when I made Okovi, I said, okay, this is, this is for me. This is for them too, because I think music is also made to be heard by others and, Mm -hmm. But whether or not, whether they like it or not, has nothing to do with my work or my sense of self or value because they, they, no one has control over that but me. And so it, it's protected and it made everything a lot easier, for sure. Yeah. And God, I loved that album. That I, so I still mm. listen to it all the time. And it's, mm. yeah, it's just, it was, it's definitely one of my absolute favorites, as in most of what you've done. But I think that especially chatting about it last year, like we did, I think that there's something um, really quite private and cool about stepping into that world that you feel almost grateful as a listener and I think that that separation is actually really important sometimes that like, yes, you need to be vulnerable and open people up. But if you don't share from your life, then people feel sometimes like it's not balanced. And the fact that mm-hmm. you were so open, which sounds terrible, because obviously not everybody needs to tell their life story and explain where they are, you know. But when you do get that from an artist, I think that there's huge respect there. 
gosh, it's just so difficult to get that. As you said, you give mm. them the button. Um, you know, it's hard to control. It's really difficult. But were you speaking hypothetically about an album that people didn't like or did it actually happen? Because I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it actually what? happened. Um, my rec- yeah, my record before Okovi is called Tiger. Yeah. And, yeah, and um, I put it out and I was, I just, I was at a point in my life where I was like, I need this to do well because this right. is all I have. Right. Yeah. I need people to like this because I need to. I need to be liked. I need, you know. And it was mm-hmm. unhealthy. And so then I, I got some when I got criticism for the record or any criticism, um, it made me feel horrible. And it's like that sucks. Um, and I know they didn't intend for that, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's, I just didn't have a healthy relationship with my music or with myself. Yeah, um, and when you and, shift that yeah. purpose, it's really difficult, especially. So, do you play any songs from Tiger at all when you when you're performing live? I love that album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's yeah, I love album. I love that album. I'm so yeah, I'm so proud of it. I worked so hard on it. Like I put I put all, everything into it, all my money, all my time, all my energy. So yeah. I, like, I like it's my it's my, it's my baby, you know. Um, and I still love it so much, but um. When when not everyone loved it as much as I did, I felt like I felt like um, it's just like not feeling validated. You know, I can feel validated, and Absolutely. now I don't care if I feel validated or not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need validation. Exactly. I do that myself. Yeah, yeah, you're t- you're in abs- You have such a such a clear vision and. You know, people. When you say your name, people know exactly what you know, what who you are, which I think is so great because then you can shift and change within that. Um, and there's like a lot of trust. I know that your fans have, and loyalty. Your fans love you, which is like you know, it's hard to do in this time. It's not only mm. keep people's attention; it's it's hard to create a relationship that feels authentic. Uh, with everything happening you know but so when you do feel on the road when you're feeling kind of overwhelmed what do you do then to keep your brain exploring and active you know what what gives you the most creative satisfaction when you're feeling that pressure on the road on the road is hard because I can't write um and I can't really be creative so I mostly read and listen to music listen I do a lot of listening to things um, sometimes it's hard to read in the car, but, um, you know, when I'm on the road, it's mostly about focusing on my health because it's, it just beats me up. Traveling beats me up. Um, yeah. and being on the stage beats me up because I'm not, I don't just, you know, I, I'm always throwing myself across the stage. Yes. Um, so it's mostly about that. And then, you know, it's when I'm able, but also there's this, there's this, uh, thing that I've been realizing recently cause I haven't been writing. Um, getting bored, like I really enjoyed the, the feeling of getting bored. You know, like oh I'll god, be, that's amazing! Yes, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> it's great because like I'll be sometimes if I'm at home, mm. I'm at my house, and you know I live alone in the woods. I don't have mm. any friends where I live. I don't see anybody, so I'll just kind of not do anything, like nothing. Yes, and just walk around my house and sing and get bored. And because when you're bored, your your mind starts to wander. Exactly. And I like doing that in like when I'm traveling as well. It's it's kind of fun. But I I, I reacted with such a visceral reaction now because mm-hmm. I feel like that's all a lot of people have been to- you know, people have been wanting just cuz so much happens 
with whether mm. it's nothing's happening around you and your brain is on fire um it can feel like all you need is that level of just like walking around and letting things happen and feeling mm. comfy enough to let those thoughts come in is also what a lot of people escape from they they don't want yeah. that you know so actually being healthy enough to accept that boredom and know that like whatever comes you're ready and you just going to feel it yeah. is uh, is really yeah i that's like an absolutely i love that because it's so <laughs> it's so needed especially cuz you're on the road you have mm. so much time in between you know traveling from place to place you've got time between that one or two hours that you're going to be on stage so it's, yeah, oh, it's, yeah. i'm sure it's really but do you so what do you do physically then in terms of not burning out what do you like is it is it because especially being on the road which i don't think you you know abuse that i'm sure you do take a few breaks but how do you make sure that the body is is healthy um i just you know i listen to the body and so um if it's feeling weak, you know, I don't push it, but mm. I do. Okay. That's not true. I do push my body <laughs> way beyond the limit, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I also just like, honestly, I think living in the countryside and when I'm home, when I'm not touring, I'm often just in nature and that's mm. so rejuvenating and restorative. Um, but that really helps me. But when I'm traveling, it's just hard. I just, you just can't get in a vibe. Like I love working out and running and mm. I can't do that because my body's already so beat up. Like mm. beating it up more by lifting weights is not a good idea. So, yeah. you know, it's just almost about survival mm. <laughs> on the road and just getting through it. Um, and just trying to do the, be the, you know, I, I don't party. I don't drink that much when I'm touring. I just kind of really try to take good care of my body. I don't eat meat when I'm touring, mm. just, you know, try to eat light um yeah but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard it is i'm sure it's hard especially because there is that expectation of like oh you have the coolest job in the world why don't you <laughs> you know why don't you just find it okay and there's so many challenges in that let alone the challenges of of you know just expecting somebody to to be okay and so much it's like it's so volatile on the road so much can happen to and especially your voice which is so important, you have to keep, mm. you have to make sure that you don't, you know, overshoot, overshoot your voice or speak too much or go out too late or not get, you know, enough vitamins. So there's so much to consider. It's, um, yeah, I can mm -hmm. imagine it gets quite overwhelming. Um, but, yeah, my, my yeah. voice is definitely, it, it dictates everything that I do on the road. Mm, mm, I'm sure. Mm. And especially because it's such a huge part of what you do. It's a, uh, you need it. You need it healthy. Yeah. Yeah. But so, mm -hmm. so when you were younger, I'm just interested now. What What was the first show that you saw? If you If you can, I know some people are are forward thinkers, not so much, you know, thinking in the past. But what was the first show you ever saw? Britney Spears oh, at no the Bradley way. Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh mm -hmm. my god. That is, a, I love Britney. I love her. I love Britney. I follow I her on Instagram. Oh, her Instagram is so cute and earnest. She is I the know. sweetest. Oh, She's always like high kicking little... and painting and yeah. doing somersaults. Yeah. 
so that She's was such first. a little bundle of joy she really is so where mm-hmm. so you said that that was in wisconsin where you grew up yeah and how old are you um probably like 10 or 11 mm-hmm. probably like 11 um and it was really interesting because i was so excited to see her i got tickets to see her for uh my birthday or something like that and mm-hmm. then um you know, I went there and I was just so excited. Like I was such a huge Britney fan. And then, you know, the seats weren't great. And so she was just this tiny little <laughs> doll, like, yes. and, you know, like so far away. And so I just would watch her on the big, the jumbotron the screen. Yeah. And it felt like so, I felt nothing really when I was there. I thought I would be so excited, but it just was so far. Mm. Like I was still just watching her on a screen that it just felt so far removed from seeing her live you know mm. it just the performance felt so like just uh, like you simulated were in a TV. way yeah watching tv yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so I, it was really interesting because it was like something i wanted my whole like ever since i i had discovered her i wanted to see her live and then when i did i was like as an 11 year old i was underwhelmed which is like <laughs> really kind of sad you were <laughs> hard like, to yeah, please yeah <laughs> i know no, but, it's um, great, yeah. But those big but arena yeah. tours are just, you know, they really, they don't cater for a fan fan. You know, it's more just to say no, you went. Yeah. Totally. So did you go with your mom? Did you go with your friends? I went, yeah, I went with my, my parents brought me, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So was that, so from that, did you, I obviously I don't want to break it apart, but did you find that you wanted to see smaller shows from there or were you still into big pop shows? Did that still fill something creatively inside? Well, I think like uh, a little bit, a couple of years after that, I got into punk and then I would mm. start going to local punk shows. And I love that. Like I, I would, then I would start booking punk shows and stuff. And um, I loved it. I love the energy and the rawness and, you know, I was attracted to that feeling of everything feeling so live and present and like it was happening like right there and um, and you could interact with it, you know. Um, and so maybe that was kind of a reaction against seeing Brittany and going, this is, this kind of felt like it could have, it could have happened, like she didn't even need to be there, you know, like it wasn't even her, it wasn't, yeah. the music was like, it just felt like a show, you know, a big show, but going to like, you know, seeing like punk bands and stuff, everything felt like I could hear, like I, when I saw their, they stopped singing and their mouths stopped moving. And like when they stopped playing guitar, the, the sound stopped coming out. You know, I'm like, oh, these people are actually like, you know. Real. Making the sound. Yeah. They're real. Yeah. You can see the sweat. So, yeah. No, those, I mean, but yeah. that's what the appeal is, right? For pop stars. The whole appeal is that it seems like this different world. It's this... It's this entertainment icon that you, you you can't ever relate to. You know, it's like that's not what they manufactured, mm. you know. You, that they're not manufacturing that ideal that it's relatable. But I always felt yeah. she was she was very yeah, she was so easy to love. I also loved her when yeah. I was younger. I just wish she would make music yeah. now. I would be so like so interested in seeing what kind of music she would make now, like who she is now. Yeah. I would love for her to be like, to be able to make an album and not think about, I need to make money or like, I want to know what Britney wants to sing. What does she want to make? What? Oh yeah. Like 
she can and she's yeah. she, you know she has all that vegas money like she's yeah. her kids are you know she's fine you oh know? no and I if, want to hear what she wants to say and if her instagram you know is anything to go by like i wish that her you know maybe for her her music would sound a little bit like how she's coming across because it feels really authentic yeah. she seems just totally, yeah. totally carefree like i'm gonna you know, high kick over a, a very well manicured grass hedge and then <laughs> <laughs> be like dancing with the kids and <laughs> it's very crazy. I love it. Um, but so do you remember then going, so when, so you went from there then to obviously local shows, how did you get in then to your first performance? Do you remember that show at all or is it kind of blurry? Throughout this whole time I was studying opera, so I was giving recitals and participating in voice competitions and that was I mean that was a whole different scenario very stressful and not fun and that's where my self-criticism was born but then like um I didn't start playing shows really until Zola Jesus um you know I would be doing things at school or whatever but then it wasn't you know it wasn't until Zola Jesus that I was like, I can do this. I can do whatever I want. You know, it doesn't have to be opera or it doesn't have to be like perfect. Yeah. Especially starting out in a competitive sphere. I can only imagine that's a, a kind of, again, it warps your brain that that is your, that's what you are needing to do. You need to, needing to win with your art. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, but again, it teaches you also really wonderful skills. I'm sure to work with other people to, to hone your talent. So I'm sure that there's a positive side of it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that like, um, well, I love the discipline of studying classical music. I love the just, you know, it's like a skill. It's like, a, it's like an athletic sport, you know? It's, it's like, it's the Olympics of music, it's, you know? And so I love that, the sort of like, masochistic like workaholic in me loves yeah. <laughs> loves opera for that reason um <laughs> and just yeah just appreciating a discipline like that but then it really damaged my sense of again my sense of worth and my sense of you know accepting who I am because my voice was never good enough I was never good enough like I'm very hard on myself and so it just wasn't and then being measured up, up against other people and being graded given grades for your oh, voice and your yeah. talent and skill it's like that's really that can be really damaging yeah and, and it was it really damaged me yeah and and luckily you got out of it eventually when you found your own voice you know and you, when you found your own kind of uh pseudonym and 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 not character because it is you but you found that uh what what do you call it I suppose just art form essentially and taking little things from everything that you've done but that's really I mean, was were your yeah. family surprised that you were making the type of music that you were making no or did they just always love everything that you were part of I mean in the beginning, they, they were like, we can't hear what you're saying. Like, it's so, <laughs> the quality is so bad because it was like very distorted and lo-fi and I was yes. doing a noise. But I'm like, you guys don't get it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there, it, you know, I went to college and I got my, did my Bachelor of Arts or whatever. And, you know, but no, even though knowing I always wanted to be a musician and so this was like my plan my plan a and so I think they were like 
they're just so proud that I was able to make this work. Absolutely. Somehow. Yeah. Um, even though I'm still paying my student loans. Yeah. <laughs> no, are you? I just, I was so ignorant about student loans before I moved um, to the States, not knowing, you know, because obviously every country is completely different. Some subsidize um, some you just work and you pay them off. It's it's not you know the fee isn't so high that it's you can't mm-hmm. pay it off. Until I met my sister in law who was still paying off. She's still paying them off, and she's a really very talented uh, kind of high profile architect. And I was like, wait, wh- this doesn't make much sense. <laughs> and then I realized that it's it's just symptomatic of this country that you. People are just so in debt still. It's really fucking oh, awful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you're, you know, there are people that are lucky that they don't have to have student loans, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's great. But, you know, for the normal, for the average person, I still have $40,000 in student loans that I'm paying off. Yeah. <laughs> that I'll probably never pay off. Yeah. Like, I'm just, like, chipping away at it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> So, um, God, and it's always there. It's like on your shoulders. I know. I'm but like, if, oh, okay. I'm, yeah. At least you're doing what you fucking love, which is something that a lot of mm. people just dream to do. So at least there's that, you know, that oh, the student yeah. loans can go shove it. At least you've got that side of your, your you know, creative self being, being fulfilled. Is there a country or a place that you particularly love playing um, just from your experience of touring around? Is there a place that really you felt very comfortable and very heard? Definitely in um, Mexico and Germany mm. and Portugal oh, gosh, <laughs> and yeah. um, Eastern Europe too. I feel like they really get it. Um, Germany has always been really good for me just because I think that they, they really just understand the, the sentiments of the music. Mm. But also just like any sort of Spanish-speaking places yes. or Portuguese-speaking places are great because they're so passionate. Like, um, yeah, Latin America is like amazing, yeah. Looking back at just the people that really inspire you, do you have somebody who you have never seen live but you still want to is there an artist that you are dying to see in you know live performance by mm-hmm. well that um the first one that came to my mind i just actually just saw her a couple of years ago but it was diamanda gala oh um, my gosh i'd always wanted to see her live and then i finally did and it was one of those situations where i was like this is what i want to do like it was wow. just her and a piano and it i mean with that just you and a piano, like a woman and a piano, and that's it. And to create so much tension, so much beauty, so much expression and power and vulnerability. And it, it was just like, if I could do that one day where I could just get up there and, and I, I mean, you know, I guess I can do anything, but, you know, I don't feel like I have the chops yet. But that was absolutely incredible. Gosh, I'm sure. She's amazing. I think I, I, always, I once read something just thinking about it now. Somebody had uh, um, described her performance as like vocal terror. And I was like, oh, that's so mm. true. Because it is, <laughs> not, not in, a, in a dark or negative way, just that it is so devastating to watch mm-hmm. that. Um, that it really, yeah, that's wonderful. I'm glad you got to see her. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I want to see her again. I'm trying to think of somebody that I haven't 
seen that I want to. So many of the people that I love since died, which is such a shame. Yeah, it's difficult to, I'm sure, describe how you're feeling when you're up there just, you know, on your own or or you obviously you have a band as well, but um, with such intimate and, and personal music, um, it's awesome to to feel it like a fan as well sometimes. I'm sure that gives you a really good perspective. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I love going to shows for that reason. It's just I like to see it from – I like to experience it from all angles, you know. I love being on stage, but I also love receiving it as an audience member, you know. Mm-hmm. And I also want to know how that feels too as a performer, you know, because it's like so often I'll be on stage and be thinking – the board, they're the sucks. <laughs> like they hate this. Like yes. I'm not doing enough. I'm not entertaining them enough. Like they need more, you know, or you know, and I get really self critical and I think that they're like the people watching me are like having a horrible time. You know, but then it's like when I'm in an audience when I'm in an audience or I'm an audience member, I'm not thinking that. I'm oh like, God, no. You even, know? even if you no, were yeah. having a bad time, you only really realize afterwards you're like, oh, that show yes. is so shit, you know, but when you're there, it's like this, you, I don't know, it's it's kind of mean to think that. I, I suppose actually speaking yeah, yeah. about comedians, it's easier to have a initial reaction to a joke quicker than you would music, I think. Nobody's going to throw oh. or heckle. Well, I don't know about that because I have spoken to Hopefully some artists not. who have had stuff thrown at them and people were heckling and saying really oh. dumb crap but yeah i think it's quicker and harder for comedian yeah it's really horrible because as you said like when you're a fan can you imagine taking your shoe off your foot and throwing it at somebody or like no. i don't know like screaming something shitty i just can't i can't even imagine yeah i mean someone someone once screamed at me at a show show me your tits and i'm like <gasps> i'm basically wearing a burka like i'm oh like, i'm not like a <laughs> sexual like i'm not here like you know what i mean it it was i mean not not like that that would be okay like under no 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 circumstances is that okay to say that but i'm just like like do you even think that i have tits like yeah exactly you know what i mean like you can't even even see that i have i'm like so asexual on stage there's just like like that is like my sexuality has no place on the stage like yes. anyway I was it was horrific it was a horrific it's thing. like oh, like, they yep, know it's like another woman. day being a woman yeah and it sounds totally like the fact that we have to keep saying it but that shit happens and I don't think mm-hmm. I think people think when they hear stories like this they're like oh yeah I've heard this before I'm gonna gloss over the idea but the truth is, is that it's so normalized that it's become mm-hmm. really it's almost how do you how do you explain to somebody that not only the words are hurtful but saying it out loud is hurtful none of it is necessary in a public forum yeah. and hearing it not only as a fan the person standing next to somebody shouting that you know and people find people laugh at it they're like oh yeah of cool yeah. Dude the word tits it's yeah, like, like what it was a joke oh, yeah, it was and a it's joke like, no, oh yeah like, i can't so stand it when people do that yeah no, I know. It's so objectifying and it's so like, um, it just undercuts why everything. we're all there, everything. you know? And it's like everything, everything. You're just like, okay, you're, you're taking something that's supposed to be really beautiful mm-hmm. and spiritual and like, you know, pro- like powerful. Like I think performing and going to shows is really powerful and amazing. And then you're just going to, you know, subjugate the entire experience or whatever. It's just like, oh, 
no it isn't it it is a shame and it's a shame that people have the entitlement to think that that's okay and i hate how Mm -hmm. when people who are nasty say oh you can't take a joke it's like throwing that hot potato back at you like oh i'm gonna be nasty and push your buttons and then when you are sensitive about it i'm gonna say how sensitive you are like that is such bullshit that why i like I felt so much fire and obviously it's been heightened this week by seeing uh, sensitivity as a weakness and how people can't Mm -hmm. understand that like airing your emotions is the strongest thing you could possibly ever do. Telling somebody how you Mm -hmm. feel in the moment is like, it's the strongest thing you can do. It's, it's so powerful. So weakness Mm -hmm. isn't and again, why is weakness? But again, it's like, toxic masculinity equating uh strength with you know being loud being entitled um yeah bad timing and you know it's a shame too because i feel like you know this the experience right now that women are having and mm-hmm. and you know i just had a really long conversation with my mom on the phone yesterday uh mm-hmm. because she was watching the um oh, the hearing and yeah. she was super moved because she yeah. had lived her life being sexually assaulted sexually harassed coerced into sex and attempt and, and experienced the attempted rape it was just like you know because and she was like well this was that was how it was back then like in the 70s mm-hmm. or 80s women didn't have any autonomy or any sort of mm-hmm. like ownership over their bodies you know and it was just like the fact that now we're able to go hey like I don't like that I never liked that we never you know, it was like just because it was we never didn't say okay. anything then, exactly. Just because yeah. the time and has lapsed doesn't make it less uh, less powerful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry yeah, to hear so that about your mum, and I can't even imagine having a conversation with her after a week like this. Just, I was mm-hmm. shattered. It was what eight hours. I couldn't take my eyes off because I was oh, like, yeah. I need to go through this. Um, and it was fucking brutal. It was so brutal. Mm-hmm. I was like this is not real. This is a SNL sketch, you know, it's, it's just yeah, didn't yeah. seem, didn't seem real. But again, speaking out about things has become much, uh, it's become accepted, but I certainly don't think that people have this, the, the mindset hasn't changed, you know, it's still, yeah. there's still so much work to do in, in not normalizing it, but really characterizing the, the, the way that we need to change. You know, I think that's Absolutely. much more. And as you as you say, you're a public figure uh, in the in the music world as well. To, and and having you exposed, I, I it's just so shit that somebody had said. What did you do when that guy said that? By the way, what did you? Could you? Were you like in the middle of a song or something? Uh, it was in, it was right before a song, and I said, "No, I will not show you my tits." I was in shock, though. Like I, I, sure. I mean, what I should have done is. Oh, man, there's so many no, things you shouldn't have done anything <laughs> again. It's that kind of thing where you're like, yeah. don't mess. Like the next person that says that to me is like, I'm going to fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to literally like walk on water. Like, like yeah, it's yeah. all Jesus. Oh, it's going <laughs> to yeah. be like the exorcist or something. But um, I'm, I'm glad you yeah. didn't do anything. Like I know that a lot of people say like, oh, I should have done that. I think that all the time when people say crap to me when I'm walking down the street or I've yeah, had exes yeah. treat me like shit. And uh, I always think of the things that I should have done. But the truth is that you did everything you should have done in that moment. Because yeah, yeah. those situations are so shocking that if you had 
done what the you know fantasy you wishes yeah yeah i don't know how order would be in it this world escalated. Yeah, yeah like even i know it's off topic but even speaking about this week um the i always i just was thinking like what if he just went up there and just said like i was young i didn't know what i was doing i was drunk i'm really sorry like nobody mm-hmm. believes in rehabilitation uh, now it's just uh it's it's so it's so it's seen as such yeah. a such a weakness i wonder if he like what would the world look like if he had done that you know i, I think it would have been amazing it would have taken a very enlightened person to do that i don't think she doesn't seem enlightened enough for that Fuck no no but she does though she's fucking amazing oh yeah 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 i mean also he has just so much to lose you know i mean he's a a judge you know it's Mm -hmm. like that means you're supposed to be the judge of morality of what's right and wrong and if you don't know that if you didn't know that like that's a huge issue in terms of your lifetime appointment you know so I can see that he has a lot to lose, and that's why he would play his cards very close to his chest. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. It's sad to say, but I totally agree with you. It's uh, Mm -hmm. his reaction was exactly what she described when it happened. Yeah. It was the the the, little boy yelling um, like a monster. Um, This is quite a a loaded question, but I suppose, do you feel that artists, especially who are uh, in your position, somebody who you make music that really comes from a place that, you know, isn't uh, premeditated or, you know, it's really honest and real and beautiful. Do you feel like at shows, if you see things happening, because I suppose it doesn't, I'm sure it doesn't happen as much, you know, those punk shows or the, you know, the shows where, uh, well, I suppose it happens anywhere. Sexual assault can happen anywhere. But do you feel like mm. shows can be, like venues can be safer? Festivals can be safer? Like, what do you think? Obviously, this is a big question and I don't expect you mm-hmm. to have the answers, mm-hmm. but I'm just interested in thinking and asking if you feel those spaces can become safer because they are really shitty sometimes for, for women yeah, and yeah. people of color and uh, non-binary folks. It's so difficult to be in public in that arena sometimes. Absolutely. You know, and I think that I, I don't know how they can be safer, to be honest, you know, other than there just being more accountability or more, more of a sense of community and the shows that I I was at as a kid, you know, there was a really thick sense of community. And so that helped uh, in terms of making me feel safe. But that's not always the case, especially these huge festivals oh, that gosh. are just like, you know, I mean, like that's a whole other podcast conversation, but just like, <laughs> you know, the feeling, uh, they're just, they're a breeding ground for predatory behavior. Mm. And you know, at the least that someone can do is putting on a big festival like that is to have point people that Absolutely. you can go, look, if you're feeling unsafe, go to this tent, go to this, find this person, you know, there's, you know, you hire 300 people if it's a huge festival or 100 people and they're wearing something specific, you go to them, like, you know, and they'll they'll help you. I mean, it's basically a cop, but like no one trusts cops anyway. No, you. Don't, <laughs> I feel I, I feel very very unsafe going yeah, yeah. to a cop. They'd probably want to arrest me for doing something or looking at them funny or yeah, no, I yeah, don't. yeah. But I totally so like policing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think there should be, especially in festivals, there needs to be much more effort taken to make sure people are safe, both like that they're hydrated, mm-hmm. that they're that they're being taken care of, that you know that because it's just like it's just a breeding ground for, like I said, predatory behavior and also just like um, really unhealthy choices that can also make them victims. exactly vulnerable. Yeah, you know? open to it. Yeah. Absolutely, especially yeah. drinking. Like I get it. You want to see the band that you love. You know those people who. They queue up for hours. I did it when I was younger. I would stand at the railing for 11 hours straight and pee in bottles, even though I'm a woman. You know, I would just like (laughs) do whatever I needed to do to see the band that I loved. But fuck, it's awful watching and knowing that, like, I wonder what's going on in the mush of that crowd and how the hell do people get out of there? You know? Yeah. And there's a yeah, lot of yeah, I mean, there's a lot of artists that stop shows and say like, uh, uh-uh, this is not on if they see it. But you know, mm-hmm. not a lot of people get that. What if the lights are low or you're in your own music? It's not. It's a lot of responsibility for an artist as well. Absolutely, and it's like, you know, at what point is it? Yes, it's the artist's responsibility to make sure everybody is safe because, of course, it's everybody, everybody's responsibility to make sure everybody exactly. is safe. Exactly, yeah. And the artist can't always be held responsible if somebody, if the wrong person's at a show or, like, you know what I mean? Or if something's happening, it's like there needs to be, there's also the venue, there's the promoter, there, you exactly. know, there's security, yeah. like, so many other people that need to be held accountable the artist is just there to give the performance. And so I'm not, I'm not excusing myself. I'm really just, um, no, I hear you. I really do. I think uh, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's like, I can't be the security guard as well as the artist on stage. You know, it's no, like, you don't so need, you shouldn't like, have to. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know, but it's, it's hard and I want people to feel safe and accepted, like deeply safe and deeply accepted when they're at my show. And so, um, however I can help them feel that way. I'm, I'm, I'll go the extra mile to do, but you know, it's still like every venue is different. Every promoter is different. Every city is different. And so there needs to be some, maybe some, there just needs to be some regulation there. I wish like we could send out like a beam, like, you know, those collars that dogs have, (laughs) we could just send out a beam, like a D and then like, everybody's like brainwashed into having a good time and they forget that they're shit people on the inside. Cause I do believe that people, (laughs) you know, I can't believe I just said that because then that means that I feel <laughs> humanity is um, a notch lower than uh, animals, which everybody maybe knows that I feel that way. But, <laughs> but no, I, I, I think I bring it up with somebody like you because I obviously not only respect who you are as a person, but I respect the music that you make. And I also feel like it is a sensitive topic that a lot of people will steer away from. And the truth is, is that I don't want anybody to have an answer. I'm still, I'm asking the question because I don't have the answer. I don't have Mm -hmm. a solution. I'm on a different side to you. I'm in the pit. I'm taking photos. I'm, you know, writing about the show from a different Mm -hmm. perspective. But I I see shit that is, you know, horrific. And I have to step Mm. in. I've stepped in. All over the world, I'll step in. And the one guy, like, launched at me in, in at a festival in Denmark. He, lo- he, oh he, had, he had, like, mowed over a girl in front of me. And I was like, okay, buddy, this is not... And maybe it's a South African thing, but, you know, you, you have... Your, the odds are against you. So you stand up. And, yeah. And, and my friend pulled me because she, obviously, I, I didn't even think, oh, shit, he could actually take a, take a swig. Um, and he did. Mm-hmm. He launched... 
and somehow I don't know I've missed it and ran which is crazy because I don't yeah again looking back the fantasy I don't know if I would have run I probably just would have you know but that kind of stuff happens and again I would I would ask the same question to a venue owner to a festival founder to a tour manager I, I think being I think the awareness is obviously needed but yeah also things need to be put in place that don't you know like again having people hydrated making sure that alcohol isn't Mm -hmm. being served to minors like the little things that are like sound very nerdy and good for your brain and your Mm -hmm. heart like those things are needed and and if you if you take those things away as you said it's like a breeding ground you're just asking for trouble and yeah, I don't uh, I don't think it's acceptable anymore to just look over and be like, oh, well, people are at the show. They need to know that, you know, they need to know that the show is going to be rough. It's like, no, they, yeah. they they don't need to have that, you know. It's not like war. It's not like going to show <laughs> means you're going to war. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you didn't have to put everything on the line just to see a band you love, you know, like okay, I'm going to, there's this band I love and they're coming to my town. I want to see them but this means I need to put like my body on <laughs> yeah yeah it's like no like you should just be able to go and have a great time and come away feeling inspired and connected and not like violated or like harmed that's yeah. and and i do think more people need to question uh venue owners and question who they're hiring for security because so much shit has happened between artists and security as well at festivals you know, when yeah. you hear these terrifying stories about artists being thrown around or thrown out or, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think that, uh, as you said, accountability is needed, but I feel like people mm. are quite scared to say anything about that space. Cause it's still like, Oh, it's a festival. It's fun. You meant to get fucked up. And, but no, I think that if you opened up the forum, people would possibly tell you horrifying stories, you know? Of stuff, oh, yeah. stuff yeah. that's happened to them at a festival or a live show. Yeah, you're not meant to get fucked up. Like, no, no. You're meant to like see music that you love. You know, it's not. Yeah, yeah it's definitely not something where you need to like have your will and testament ready to go when you <laughs> before you go to a, yeah. a festival. You know, and that's that's a shame. And it's like, yeah, you get that people like to party. It's like that's that's awesome. Like, do whatever you got to do, but also make sure that you're doing it in this space. Or make sure that you're doing it and you're feeling safe while you're doing it. Because I think a lot of people will end up, like, you know, taking drugs and not thinking about, oh, I'm going to be put in a really vulnerable position and I won't be able to take care of myself or make decisions, you know. And and I'm not saying that that's their responsibility. I'm, I'm just saying that, like, you know. But even if you were, I still feel like that's that's okay. Again, you know, that yeah, I yeah. that's totally validated. You're allowed to. Totally. Yeah, I, I totally agree. What sort of, I don't know, just thinking now, like, human truths whether that's coming from like your creative self or who you are as a person like what do you feel like people need to look what needs to be in the spotlight right now maybe as an artist from an artist perspective and what do you think we can do without like what things need to be shoved out ideals and what things do we need to consider more um well I've never been I've never had my politics be a part of my music because I just felt vehemently against that I thought okay well what I believe in is separate from what I'm doing. What I'm doing is universal. And no matter what you believe in, like you should be able to connect with that. And I'm not, you know, and regardless, I have no judgments. Like I'm an extremely empathetic and compassionate person. You know, it's like, um, 
But at the same time, I do think it's really important that if I have a voice, you know, I have an opportunity to set standards for myself and for the people that are around me and to, you know, be the change that I want to see in the world. Yeah. And, um, and so I think, like, in general, just, like, my politics have become more uh, foregrounded because it's, like, it's impossible to just be silent. I think being silent is kind of like being complicit in a way. So um, I've just been more vocal in that way, hoping that, uh, you know, I can either teach people about things that are, they didn't know or they can feel connected or feel, like, I don't know. I just I think it's important. And then also I just feel like, you know, rebuilding the, the music industry just through practice, like through doing it. <laughs> like um, I started a Patreon because I was like, this isn't working for me anymore. This music industry as it was, isn't what it is. And just really trying to go like, okay, in everything in my life, is there something that isn't working anymore <laughs> that maybe used to work five years ago or 10 years ago, whether it's my politics, whether it's, mm. Uh, the, you know, the way that I survive, the way that I eat, the way that I, you know, wake up in the morning, the way that I interact with the world. Okay. Well, what needs to change and to just do it, you know, instead of just like wishing it was different, just do it because the world is changing every day drastically, exponentially. And so you just need to, uh, change with it or react to it. And, and, you know, we can't operate in the same ways that we used to. So I don't know if that's really related to your question, but I I honestly can't even remember my question. I feel like I was just like wondering something out loud and uh, I'm very grateful that you open enough to, to not be shy about it. And uh, even what you're saying, like just being brave to also, you know, even if political agenda isn't part of it, it doesn't mean that you need to be chastised that it's not part of your vocabulary it doesn't need to be but having some sort of platform as you said to make that change why settle with an industry standard that you didn't feel comfortable with so you going to Mm -hmm. patreon and doing it with a more uh you know there's there's no you've you're cutting out every middleman that ever has ever tried to tell you that they matter and you really are making it you know one-on-one and again not to say I, i i also have to catch myself as well because I don't expect every artist to do that and I'm sure you don't either mm-hmm. it, it may not no, work no. for other people but I just think in general going you know in general it's it's really hard to look at how the industry how what, whatever you think it was in the past and then trying to interact with it in that way because magazines don't barely exist anymore like the radio barely exists anymore mtv doesn't exist anymore like labels barely exist like no one's buying music fewer people are going out to shows so it's like okay well then you can't you can't have the expectations of a uh infrastructure that is no longer relevant you know and so it's like it's kind of like religion right it's like religion yeah exactly Like whatever exactly. the hell it was built on. Uh, hello, we have uh, we we don't have donkeys and uh, we've got running water. <laughs> we don't need to walk far now. The the laws don't uh, they don't adapt. It's about being adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How so is the important. Patreon working for you? How has that been? It's really good. It's been such a positive um, a part of my life, and, and just. Really, it's just the experience of meeting all these people and them believing in what I'm doing and going, look, you know, mm-hmm. it's like 
we just want you to be able to keep doing what you're doing and then also having the opportunity to interact with them on a daily basis you know like messaging them like they're becoming pen pals and like i'm meeting them at shows and it's just like that sense of community that i had like when i was young like putting on punk shows it's like that it's like creating that grassroots sense of community and like sense of family that has been really great and i just feel very like loved and cared for by these people and not like I don't know. It's just like, it makes me feel more liberated to create. And they're also like really encouraging to be like, Mm -hmm. make whatever you want, do whatever you want. Like we're into like whatever you do. And I'm just like, really? That's awesome. (laughs) Like, cool. So I have so many ideas. Like, and trusted. I mean, there's so many creative layers to yeah. what you do. Anyway, I remember being so fascinated by how you had even uh, um, sent the days mixed for the magazine article that I wrote about you. And, and you had like thought about the font and thought about everything that yeah. was even attached to it. And so I think like having, I don't know, it must feel amazing to have that, um, that relationship now with your with with listeners to know that they will follow you on your journey and you can just be uh, you can just explore now it yeah mm-hmm. it must feel really really empowering for you about time absolutely it's like yeah. it's like that's how yeah. it should be it's like fuck why did this not happen mm-hmm. earlier you know it's just i know i'm like everyone should do this you know i mean it won't work for i'm, I'm gonna work for everyone but i'm just like mm. the feeling of just feeling cared for you know just mm-hmm. really because um, I, I don't always feel that way as a person yeah. or as an artist. And so just mm. to feel cared for by people that, you know, I want, you know, I don't know. It's just like being a musician is, it's a communal thing. Mm. You know, I can't, you can't do it in a vacuum. And so it just feels really good to know that there's people out there that are like, that are with me, you know, mm. they're, they're here with me. Yeah, but, they really are. And, and so are you going to be yeah. writing soon? How are you feeling in terms of opening that up yeah. now? Because I know that you still have more sh- a few more shows and everything. And there's always a, a, a weird uh, sense of time between albums. Yeah. And I know yours just came out. But are you how are you feeling in approaching that side of yourself again? Yeah, I'm feeling uh, because I've been touring so much and traveling, I haven't really felt I haven't really been writing much, but I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to getting in the studio um, and probably this winter or definitely this winter and starting to work on the next thing. But um, I'm also feeling because of Patreon, um, I'm really feeling like less pressure. Good. I'm feeling less pressure about me- needing to make a certain type of record or mm-hmm. needing to do something really specific because I'm just feeling like more supportive to explore things um, and take Amazing. my time. So, um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just, obviously actively working but not yes. going to push anything out wonderful yeah. well i can't well when it yeah. happens i will be there listening so i can't wait to oh, see what you. happens and also just like going into this new process as you said and knowing that it's not like a safety net but knowing that the output is going to be different um mm-hmm. and and working toward that in such a positive light i think is such a it's such a blessing so yeah, yeah, I hope I hope that it just grows and grows and grows. I mean, yeah, you're you're a, you're, you're a rock star in the weirdest way of saying that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you got this.
This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com. Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and The Consequence Podcast Network where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already Consequence Podcast Network.